Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is Austin Bridges welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the now, episode number 66. Uh, LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end, has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode of this podcast, we respond to questions sent to LL Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Jim McCarty, and myself, each of us a devoted student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise their discernment and be sensitive to their resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Austin, and we are embarking on a brand new episode of LL Research's podcast, In the Now, intended to be a bi-weekly podcast, but we've been a bit irregular lately. <laughs> um, hopefully we'll get things back on schedule uh, maybe after the new year. We've been really busy, lots of traveling around and uh, some sicknesses and colds and stuff, but we're going to do our best to get back on a regular schedule soon. Uh, Gary and Jim, are you with us and ready to go? Yes, indeed. That is true. All righty. So our primary question today comes from Bring Forth user Barium, I believe it's pronounced. And uh, Barium asks, in Voices of the Confederation, uh, page 49, it is transmitted that the infringement of free will was never designed by our creator. So who designed it? And that passage that Barium refers to for context is, Unfortunately, in some places, certain actions of one entity with respect to another cause an infringement that was never designed by our creator. This results in a discrepancy in the plan of the creation and creates unfortunate situations as it has upon your planet. It is necessary for man on planet Earth to realize this and to individually correct his understanding of himself in order to bring himself back into alignment with the plan and design of our Creator. And Barium continues, I do not mean any disrespect to the entities that communicated this. My point is, how come that something that was not designed may exist? And then he asks a couple follow-ups that I'm going to go ahead and um, read out too because they're so similar that... I think we can just approach them all at the same time, or if either of you wants to answer one at a time, feel free to do that. Um, his follow-ups are, if infringement was not supposed to be designed, and if a law is basically a body of rules slash principles, why is there a law of the creation, i.e. the law of one? And if we imagine an octave where there are no distortions, then there would be no infringement. But it seems that the opportunity for infringement derived more significantly due to other laws that are a result of distortions of this law. For example, the laws of love, the laws of light, and especially in our illusion, the law of free will or the way of confusion. 
if distortions were designed to happen, wouldn't infringement naturally occur? It's a difficult question to ask and a difficult question to answer, I think. But, uh, Jim, how about you get the ball rolling? What do you think? Well, I think that uh, the one creator had in mind to fashion a means by which it could know itself. And so what resulted was what we see as the one infinite creation uh, with a lot of help from various logoi that designed experiments that would utilize the basic architecture or blueprint that was in the creator's mind and fashioned a series of densities through which various life forms would be able to move back into unity with the one creator by making free will choices. Now, the free will aspect, I think, is what we can really look to for the reason there might be things occurring that weren't originally planned by the Creator. And just because these facets or features were not planned doesn't mean that they shouldn't be here or there's something wrong with them. Um, one of those is uh, people infringing upon other people's free will. And that, I think, is part, he mentioned something about the law of love and the law of light, has to do with how we interact with each other as we're moving through this uh, octave of being, octave of densities that will eventually take us back into union with the Creator. But if you look throughout the raw contact, there were so many things that weren't planned. Um, social memory complexes weren't planned, but free will freely allows them. Uh, the uh, heating effect of uh, planet Earth and absorbing disharmonious energies was not planned. Um, I think the most important feature is that uh, Ra mentioned that our logos, the major logos of the Milky Way galaxy, is what they called a protean entity that which uh, learns and grows upon a macrocosmic scale. So if you have entities at that level, uh, octave level of being that are learning and growing and exercising their own free will, then you have kind of a fluid environment in which all of us are existing. So I think we need to make room in our own thinking for there to be uh, surprises, as Ross said. Uh, there are no mistakes, however, there are surprises. So the, we're going to run into surprises a lot. And I think that's a good thing. If everything was exactly predestined, then it'd be kind of boring for me. I was raised in the Presbyterian Church where that was the doctrine, is predestination. So I, I, um, I'm not disturbed when I see something that hasn't been planned. I'm thinking, well, this is a very vital, fertile uh, growing universe and creator, and even I'm doing the same thing. So, in general, I think that this is something we should um, be glad about and not be too unhappy about. Thank you. Uh, Gary, what are your thoughts? <clears throat> when Austin and I uh, touched base on this question just prior to launching the show, I mentioned that I was treating it all as one question, but then I forgot. 
about the first parts. So just correct, correction, I guess, to Austin about um, the two-part nature of my reply. And um, I wasn't sure where to go with this notion that, um, quote, cause an infringement that was never designed by our creator, end quote, that appears in Voices of the Confederation. And because it seems um, of um, an inaccurate idea to say that something wasn't designed, because I get the sense when reading that that it's as if the speaker or the channeled source is saying that there was some aberration, like something has gone wrong, something has gone fundamentally against the design of the creator. This thing wasn't planned and it's happened. And so I was uh, having trouble with that, but I love where Jim went with it regarding um, that which is planned and that which is discovered spontaneously through the experiment itself. And um, I would just, I don't think Jim used the word experiment, and I would just add a little nuance to what he already said, which was great. And that was that this emergence of infinity or rather infinity becoming aware and the first distortion of free will whereby it decides that it will can and will know itself and um we know the sequence from there but that was is all a movement into the unknown i mean um it might be said that infinite intelligence didn't know what precisely would happen or how, um, I mean, it began its experiment and set its parameters, but even within those knowns of parameters, like Jim was saying, there's endless, uh, infinite room for novelty and newness and surprise. So on to the question of infringement and distortion. And the way I'm reading uh, his, I believe his question is, it seems there is a, a, a conflation or a, of distortion and infringement and, um, or rather, an equating of those two notions. And I would call that equating a conflating and try to untangle them by saying that... Um, I see, I, and to do so, I will analyze infringement a little bit. I see infringement basically as happening when uh, entity A seeks to infringe upon the free will of entity B. It is a sort of violating or limiting or undermining or encroaching upon the free will of another self. And what is infringement versus what is not infringement is the question and the stuff of third density. It's very complex and it's nuanced um, with all sorts of shades of conditional meaning. Um, but I'll just focus on a really simple example of what might be an instance of infringement. Using his free will, entity B continues to be in an incarnate state. As, as he would say, entity B is living. His free will desire is to live and to be alive. 
but using his free will, entity A wishes entity B not to be alive. So entity B violates the free will of entity A and intentionally, knowingly kills entity A. Entity A is dead. Their free will has been infringed upon and abridged by entity B. And this can only happen in an environment where disharmony between entities is possible. And disharmony can only happen when the veil of forgetting is implemented and the self sees other selves as truly other or fundamentally different or separate. Thus, an illusion is created. And in such an illusion, one actor possessed of free will, or as Ra would say, confusion, can use their free will to subvert the free will of another actor also possessed of free will. And in that regard, infringement is a very serious distortion, perhaps one of the greatest because it rests upon the assumption that the other self is not the creator and is separate from the self. Thus, the self committing infringement has taken distortion to its extreme, perhaps even its maximum extent, traveling as far away in perception from the unity of the creator as is possible. Um, distortion, on the other hand, in and of itself is not infringement. Um, distortion is any act or moment or movement that modifies or conceals the original undifferentiated unity of the creator. Um, free will itself, then, as this questioner notes, is a distortion. Every conceivable thing in the infinite universe, indeed, the universe itself is a distortion. Infringement is just um, one type of very significant distortion, you might say, that happens um, in a polarized universe of service to others and service to self where there is a possibility of creator against creator. Without the veil, without polarity, then all is perceived as one, all um, naturally unfolds in harmony, and there is no desire to infringe upon the free will of the other because the other is yourself. And there may not even be the possibility, I don't know, to infringe upon the free will. But that's my thoughts. Uh, it's, uh, interesting. I kind of had the same assumption about the quote that Barry uh, uses and that it seems to be inaccurate. So my answer is kind of yeah. uh, predicated on that opinion that what this was – the, this um, passage that was communicated wasn't necessarily completely accurate. And that's not to say that I think it's completely invalid, uh, but I basically agree with the argument that is implied by Barium's question and with what you said about it, Gary, that um, uh, that implies something is fundamentally wrong with what's happening. Uh so I don't necessarily think that's possible because if we see the creator as sort of this uh, ever-present, eternal, infinite source beyond the confines of time and space, then there's really nothing that can fall outside of that to a fundamental place of wrongness. So mm. uh, based on my view of channeling, uh, especially conscious channeling, 
which is what is contained within the Voices of the Confederation, channeling's not necessarily a, a perfect art. And so um, a person's mind is translating a concept or theme sent from the source of channeling. Um, but that theme might sometimes be presented in a distorted way or a way that is colored by that particular channel's um, own beliefs. Uh, so my approach would then be to figure out how that passage um, might have been intended, at least according to my personal beliefs, uh, based on that assumption that this passage was sort of distorted from its original intention. So um, when that channel says that uh, some infringement was not designed by the creator, I feel that this is coming from a perspective of the creator that we know as this perfect representation of unity and love. And it is from that creator that we have journeyed outward, and it is towards that creator that we journey home. In the midst of this journey, uh, we see things that seem foreign to what we recognize as the fundamental love and unity that we believe is indicative of the creator. But uh, that seeming foreign nature is, I think, one of the biggest reasons for even taking this journey to begin with, to allow the creator to experience itself. And in order to have vivid experiences, I think it might be necessary for us to be put into a situation where something seems other than us or other than what we recognize as uh, divine even. So that is what makes the, the choice, the third density choice, uh, so powerful is that we are striving to recognize that things that seem other to us are not really that and then to act upon that recognition that they are actually um, part of the ultimate unity of the universe. So that statement that it is not planned by the creator seems to be seated in the mentality that um, it is so foreign, that infringement is so foreign, maybe in the mind of the person who is channeling, which um, I double-checked in the archives and it was an unknown channel, so it wasn't Carla or Don, as most of the channeling voices of the Confederation is. It was uh, maybe somebody they were teaching to channel. Um, but in their channeling, uh, perhaps their sort of projection of what the creator is and what the creator is not influenced the message that was intended by the source. Which isn't to criticize the channel, and it's not to say that that's invalid, because I think that it is a valid view, since we seek to become the creator through love and unity, and so to recognize things that don't speak to that love and unity and then see them as part of a wrong choice is kind of, um, can be a path to recognizing what we do want and what we do feel is our path back to the creator. But Ross says that the creator blinks at neither the light or the dark. So I think that that statement is far more telling than the statement that Barium shared from Voices of the Confederation. The light and the dark parts of this creation are a part of the creator and all of it is contained within that unity of the creator. Um, so that's my initial response. Do either of you have a follow-up or some more thoughts? Yeah, I'd like to follow up on what uh, both of you have mentioned about the uh, potential distortion or inaccuracy of the channeling at that time in 74. It took a long time for um, Carla 
especially, to determine what it really took to have a good group, realizing that the group that you have gathered in meditation helps very much to bring in whatever kind of information is received. And back in those days, in 74 and earlier, in many cases, it was kind of a hodgepodge of people that were maybe uh, tangentially interested or they were, they were there for a few meditations and didn't come back. They weren't that dedicated to being tuned, shall we say, because it really wasn't discovered then that it was necessary for the group itself to be well-tuned. Carla had begun making some progress, you know, that was when she first learned the channel, in tuning herself and had gotten some indications and information from Don in that regard. But it was quite of a, a long process for her to discover that not only did the instrument or the channel have to be tuned, but that the entire group needed to be tuned. So that's really where the round robin that we still use now came from. She wanted to try to include everybody in the group in a more meaningful way so that the vibrations of the entire group could be raised and held at a stable point and support information coming through from um, the Confederation, usually Hatan at that time. So I, I would suggest that a lot of the information in Voices of the Confederation is uh, less well-tuned <laughs> and not a surprise, you know, that, than later information was because, you know, you get better at whatever you do. Uh, you, you learn a lot by trial and error. So I, I would suggest to people that they look at Voices of the Confederation as kind of a training wheels for L&L research. And this is um, a, a little past where they started. You know, they started as an L&L group back in 62. So um, in 10 years, they, they came a certain distance, but there was still a, a goodly distance to go before it was discovered how to really support the channel and help positively orient information to come through in a more balanced fashion. And as time went on, you know, we attracted uh, entities of the fifth entity, uh, Latwi and uh, La Lima, that uh, gave us more information because we have been able to become more harmonized as a group. And then eventually, of course, the raw contact occurred. So that's just what I wanted to add there. This is a, a this is training wheels here. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning, too, that Voices of the Confederation was published recently, but it was compiled back then as well. They actually created the manuscript for this before um, Secrets of the UFO, which was uh, really LL Research's first publication. So... Um, we dug it up and it had been uh, worked on over the decades a little bit, but the actual content in the book was compiled, um, I think, beginning in 75. They started taking snippets of those channelings and putting them into categories. And uh, that's not to say that they aren't um, very beautiful and useful messages, but um, they might not be as precise as the later messages. Is there um, a disclaimer at the front of that book? regarding uh, the potentially untuned nature of some of the channeling? I can't remember if Carla talks about it being potentially untuned, um, but she wrote a pretty long introduction, I think, when she picked it up around 2008, uh, sometime around then. 
that explains the nature of what the transcripts are, but it might be worth thinking about adding a disclaimer about that specifically. Yeah, if Carla's not uh, explicit about it in the introduction, just to let readers know this was um, in its earlier phases. Yeah. Uh, so is there anything about our initial responses regarding the um, question that you had, Gary? Yeah, I had uh, a thought, and that's that out of that consideration, there's a very rich discussion that could be had, and I'm not going to get too deep into it now, but a very, but rather just allude to the existence of the discussion um, regarding whose will it is that is being exercised in a, any given moment by any given entity. Um, because ultimately, in the first and the final truth and the only truth, there is only one will and one energy and one life that's being lived. Uh, but from our standpoint, the Creator seems to have created portions of itself that are also possessed of free will and are also connected to intelligent infinity. And those portions seem to be able to use their free will in order to explore themselves and chart their own journey through the various densities and octaves and um, those wills in conflict or in harmony with other wills and so forth. But, and each of those portions responsible for their own journey, but there's always the but of all of those seeming separate and individual wills are arising out of the one will. So it's as if one could say truthfully that nothing happens that is outside of the will of the creator. Nothing, no destruction, no infringement, no thing that we would qualify with the worst possible adjectives or with um, the greatest bewilderment is outside of the creator's will. But that was my thought. That's somewhat related to the first follow-up question I had, but this follow-up question I don't think will get us very far because of just like you're saying, it's a complicated thing, but um, it is the concept of the creator having a plan. Uh, does the creator have a plan? Is is that even a valid idea, way to look at things? Um, what do you think, Jim? I think the creator has a plan that is based upon the harvest of the previous octave. I think the plan is always that the creator would like to know itself more, more intensely, uh, more variety. And, um, so, Ra said that the harvest of the previous octave was the mind and the body and the spirit seeing as means by which entities could more fruitfully move through the illusion. And what I'm wondering is, what did, what did they look like before they had mind, <laughs> body, and spirit? Um, but, yeah, I do think that there is a plan, and it is the result of what has come before. Although we get into some wonderful paradoxes here, because Ross said that they are aware of both Entities that have come from the creation before this one, the octave before, and the creation or the octave to come. That, so if it's the octave to come, 
it's already there. When is it coming? <laughs> the eternal now blows my mind. I cannot begin to fathom. Ross said, you know, we have past, present, and future here in third density. But in the densities beyond this, it's an eternal now. And I'm I'm just... <laughs> I, I, I Actually, I'm kind of glad my mind is bollocks by it because if I could understand that, it would be too simple. <laughs> it wouldn't be so valuable. <laughs> yeah. But but still, I, I, I struggle with it. So, yeah, I think there is a plan, and it comes from previous experience, and will take us forward into what we think is the future, but I don't know where to go from there. It's like trying to twist your brain to even consider these things. It's like exercising. So if we could figure it out, then it just wouldn't be satisfying at all to even think about it. All begins and ends in mystery. That part, I think I grok. <laughs> uh, Gary, do you have a follow-up? Yeah, regarding this idea of plan, by um, I would rewind the cosmological clock, as it were, back beyond the point, Jim's starting point of the sequence of octaves, what comes from the previous octave to this octave, what moves into the next octave, and so forth. Even before that, there are the first three distortions that arise out of intelligent infinity. And by the time the second distortion comes around, free will has found its focus, which is called the logos or love, the second distortion. And that focus definitely is very plan-oriented. It um, uses intelligent energy and creates um, a system of densities and octaves and the pathways of intelligent energy um, and um, including what science knows as the natural or physical laws of a physical universe and um, the illusions of space and time and so forth. So that's definitely, it uses its own intelligent estimation to invent and create a world that is built upon a blueprint of a plan and um, invests itself, that intelligent energy, into light, and light then becomes the manifestation of this plan. We are that plan. We are intelligent energy um, moving through that plan. But if you rewind back even further to the point of... Uh, infinity becoming aware <laughs> which is just it gets ridiculous to try to think about or talk about when you get to a certain point but um infinity becoming aware and determining that it would know itself was there a plan at that point i can't even speak intelligently to that question but i i would assert um that free will does lay out a plan of spiritual evolution do you think it um could be good to think about that plan more as parameters rather than a plan i mean plan could mean different things so you definitely could call it a plan but maybe more parameters like this is how um life will unfold within this creation but there is no set plan at that point it is then sort of up to that creation to figure it out on its own i think both words are good synonyms i think plan has some valid insight to bring to this question because 
um, the the parameters are laid out in intelligent and hierarchical um, in an intelligent and hierarchical fashion. And the archetypical mind is actually a very significant part of that plan. But if you remember what Ra had to say about it was that it describes the nature of the evolutionary process of mind, body, and spirit, and that each seeker will glean from the archetypical mind a unique set of, shall we call them, understandings or inklings as to how it all works, that there is no dogma to offer. So even though it's a plan, it's really plastic and fluid and flexible. Yeah, it's not a plan in the sense that it precludes novelty or discovery. Not in the sense that it prescribes a sequence of steps that will be followed in a a predestination sort of uh, sequence like instructions that step one is complete, then step two, step three, step four, then yeah, that wouldn't be the creator knowing itself. That wouldn't be um, free will able to explore um, manyness in an infinitely in an infinite present moment. So yeah, parameters um, then does become a very good word too. Yeah. And part of the reason I ask that is um, because I sometimes struggle considering like events or things that happen to me or other people and saying, Oh, that's just all part of the creator's plan. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like on some level, I agree with that, but on another level, I can't agree with that. It's, um, it's hard to reconcile. Yeah. And you see that in religious thought a lot too. And I think if, if the exercise and experience of faith um, definitely does connect into that idea that there are no mistakes, all is well. And that that experience or knowingness of there are no mistakes and all is well is arising out of or predicated upon the sense that everything is unfolding according to the creator's will or plan or parameters. But that doesn't mean at the same time that the particular thing that just happened to you or to other people uh, was, say, selected by the creator and said, I want this specific event to happen. Rather, um, what transpired was a function of seeming parts of the creator choosing their own journey, which happens against the backdrop of the ultimate plan in which there are no mistakes, but. Right. There's um, I think it's called deism. Uh, that's sort of this concept that God created the universe and then sort of has a hands-off approach since then, which may, might be somewhat valid in this discussion. Um, but it is a Christian view, but it, it's a view that, uh, ever since I think the events of the Bible, God has just decided to not interfere with his creation and instead is just allowing things to play out. There's a, um, what you just brought up has a very direct quote that speaks to this. Ra says something like, the creator doesn't so much create as it does experience itself. So it's m- might be, accurate 
to say <laughs> that there's this basic uh, parameter or blueprint laid, this foundational thing that um, invests all subsequent portions of the creator with their own free will. So from the perspective of the creator, it, it sets the stage, it sets the parameters, and then watches the witnesses as the parts are the actors on the stage uh, undertake their own journey. So the creator from the perspective of intelligent infinity doesn't have puppet strings pulling the uh, the strings of the actors and coordinating and dictating their movements per se, but is rather watching them uh, of their own volition choose their form of dance their, and their form of experience. And then you must remember that the creator is contained in full in even the tiniest iota of any part of the creation. So he or she or it has a ringside seat. Right. It's The creator's not just watching us like from an objective perspective. Yeah. Uh, we are the nerve endings of the creator in a sense that we experience and through us the creator experiences we are sort of a channel uh for the creator to have experience carl sagan uh said that we are a way for the cosmos to know itself carl said that yeah all right <laughs> he Where wasn't you go, carl? he had a he was very anti-spirituality but he was surprisingly spiritual in his science um, I think there's a million different ways we could go with this discussion, but uh, it looks like we are sort of out of time. So did either of you have some final thoughts you wish to share? You were talking about uh, otherness, and it occurred to me that like a flip side way to say all is one is to say that there is no other. I guess that's kind of uh, a non-dual way to describe unity, but I had never heard it that way before so i kind of like that <laughs> so uh, otherwise no that was my great contribution yeah did you trademark that <laughs> copyright that um all right jim any final words for our listeners yeah we just want you to know that there may be some confusion and paradox about a lot of things in the universe and we're all working as seekers of truth to try to figure that out but one thing you can know for sure we love you all have a great two weeks I used to watch Mr. Rogers when I was a kid, and he would always end his program with uh, statements like, you make Jim. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm the Mr. Rogers of the law one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a hero of mine, so it's a good thing. Right. <laughs> You've been listening to LL Research's uh, podcast, In the Now. If you have enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening for supporting this podcast with your questions, and a special thank you to Barium for sending us the question that we discussed in this episode. If you would like to hear us ramble on about a particular topic, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org podcast. Uh, new episodes are intended to be published to the archive website every other Wednesday afternoon. Um, they don't always make it there uh, with that frequency, but... Uh, Hopefully we'll get back to the regular schedule soon. Have a wonderful few weeks, and we will talk with you next time. <laughs>